One of the things that I've learned is that you can be your own worst enemy. The first part is to examine yourself and understand where what you feel or what you think is holding you back. I think a second, it's very important to have a plan. Urban Jungle brings stories from people around the globe that design and build a better world. I am Magda Flores and this is Urban Jungle. Welcome. Did you know that where we live and how we interact affects our well-being? Yet, when we talk about well-being, we tend to talk about me. Well-being is about we, the community and the environment we live in. It is time to shift the paradigm from me to we. Check out the Urban Wellbeing Training courses developed in partnership with the UK's Chartered Institute of Water and Environmental Management at www.siwem.org. This is a conversation with Wendy Whittaker-Large. Wendy is a property investor who created a multi-million pound property portfolio using other people's money. She is a serial entrepreneur, trainer, mentor and writer. Wendy has featured in the Sunday Telegraph on BBC One and Channel 5 and regularly appears on Property Speaking Circles. Hi, Wendy. Hello, Magda. As we start to break the ice and help us picture where you are by asking about a place you like to visit near where you are. Well, where we live, we have a lot of nature because we live in a semi-rural location. Uh, it's, a, it's a small town, it used to be called a village. My mother-in-law still calls it the village, but actually it's a town now. And near to us, we have uh, an old railway line, a disused railway line that's been uh, transformed into a walking route. And we call it the salt line. And it's absolutely beautiful. It's like a nature reserve that has this gravel uh, path going through it. And it's a beautiful place to spend looking at nature, listening to the birds and seeing the different species of trees which have been planted along the, the route. I love it there. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. And I would very much like to find out a little bit about your story. How come you got into HMOs and properties? I started investing in property a long time ago, nearly 25 years ago. And the reason was that I, I was left a small pot of money. I had a, a relative who died and left me a small pot of money. And I didn't know what to do with this money. I had some choices. I had a young family, so we could have perhaps, perhaps bought a new car. We could have had a lovely holiday. We could have done up our house. But my mom said to me, you should invest that money for the long term because you'll always be glad of having an investment. And because at the time I wasn't working, well, I was working, but I wasn't, um, I was unpaid because I was a mum. That's <laughs> always working in my book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I just happened to not be in a paid employment capacity. I decided that that was very good advice. So I started looking around, look around for different investment options. And one of them was property. And I put that money into a property and I still own that property to this very day. And it was that seed that really sprouted my interest in investing in property. And from then on, I started to develop other strands of property knowledge and learning. I bought properties at auction. I flipped properties. I did lots of different types of property investment. But if you fast forward to about 2013, I was working 
part-time. Uh, by this stage, I had four children and I was a lecturer at a local university. I'd done a master's degree in education and I was teaching at the university, but I was getting more and more frustrated. I knew that if I was going to have a sizable pension, I'd have to work till I was 60. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't like that outlook. So with a small portfolio of single buy to lets, I probably had about five or six buy-to-lets at that stage, I decided to start thinking about creating more cash flow because I knew that if I was going to give up my job, the key was to replace my income. And at that stage, my single buy-to-let properties were doing pretty well, but they certainly didn't replace my day-to-day income. And that's when I started to learn about HMOs. And I started to think about how by having a house where you have multiple occupants, a house of multiple occupation, you have lots of people paying rent, you have one mortgage, you have one set of bills. So you have multiple income streams in one property. And that really excited me. Now, I knew that there was going to be some uh, challenges as well in terms of building a property to that standard, um, making sure that it met all the regulations, making sure that I managed the property well, because it was going to be harder work managing six or seven tenants in one property than one tenant in one property. But I knew that by doing so, I could make much more in terms of my financial investment. And that's what happened. So over the the years between about 2013 and 2019, I did about 26 HMO projects. Some of them were my own. Most of them I did with joint venture partners. And by creating HMOs that gave good profit it meant that the joint venture could work because there was enough in it for them and for me now that was in a different economic situation people nowadays face a slightly different economic challenge how do you see that well it's interesting because when i first started my there was no such thing as buy to let mortgages i had to apply to my local bank for a business loan i couldn't get a mortgage rates were about 6% on ordinary mortgages. And in fact, I think my business loan was about 8%. So I fully understand when people say, oh, it's too expensive to invest in property now or or interest rates are too high, because I've been there. Uh, Money tends to go in cycles. There's always a a change. There's always a a newness to the, the latest cycle. And I would say in the current cycle that we're in, one of the biggest challenges we have is government indebtedness. So in the 1990s, when I was investing, government debt relative to GDP was much lower than it is today, whereas now it's over 100% in the UK of GDP. This is much more risky in terms of the government investing. But that means that when interest rates continue to go up, which, of course, at the moment they've plateaued, but if they were to go up, it affects the government very, very significantly, much more so than it does if their debt is at a much lower level. Now, why do I say all this? Really to say that the context, the, the, the context in which you find yourself in can either be a limitation or it can be an opportunity. And I, I see the context in which we're in as an opportunity. You have to find the opportunities within the limitations of your own context, because otherwise you won't ever do anything. And you will never be able to grow a profitable business if you don't change your mindset. 
Absolutely. In terms of the uh, HMOs, the multi-household occupancy, how do you see the trends and the influences with this sector? Being very heavily immersed in the in the industry, I'm fairly well known. I'm known as the HMO queen. And somebody else gave me that title, not me, by the way. <laughs> All right. I thought you woke up one morning. I thought, oh, how should I rephrase my name? <laughs> yes. No, somebody else said, Wendy, you're the HMO queen. And I thought, well, that's quite nice. I think I'll, I'll stick with that one. But um, because I've written a couple of books about HMOs and I, I run a training and mentoring program to help other people invest in HMOs but yes it's interesting over the 10 years that I've been investing in HMOs of course I've seen changes and I think at the moment in the UK what we're seeing is because of the cost of living and because of the 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 challenges the economic challenges that people are facing living in a property where you pay one bill your rent but it also includes all your utility bills everything's all inclusive this is very attractive for tenants because no longer do they have to rent a flat where they then have to pay council tax gas, water, broadband, television license, etc. Everything is all included in that one rent payment. So for a lot of people, that makes budgeting much, much easier. The other side of it is also that the social element is there. And I know for a lot of HMO tenants, they don't want to live on their own. Perhaps they've come to the country looking for work. They may be uh, on short term or longer term visas. They may be very new to the area. And they don't want to feel isolated. So being in a home where there are other people living there, where they can develop some social relationships is also a key part of why HMOs work. So I I think there are a number of factors that at the moment uh, mean that HMOs is a very, very good strategy. The other reason why I'm also very confident about HMOs is because you may have heard of my campaign. Uh, So I led the HMO Council Tax Reform Group campaign. There was a team of us who fought the government to remove council tax on individual rooms, because up until recently, uh, in certain circumstances, individual rooms were being banded separately for council tax. And we felt this was terrifically unfair and very unjust because it was happening sporadically. It wasn't happening across the board. And by fighting that campaign, we, we've discovered we, we won it. About a week ago, there was an announcement from the government to say they are going to reform. As a result of our campaigning, they're going to reform the practice. And that means that a house, a house of multiple occupation will have one council tax banding applied to it which means that there's certainty for landlords and there's also certainty for tenants. And and we're delighted that that's happened. So, yeah, I feel very positive about the sector. It's not an easy strategy at times. You certainly are are tested in your knowledge and your your mindset and your, your, your determination. But I think if you can develop those skills that the mindset skills, as well as the skill set skills, you can create a very profitable property portfolio. Well, many congratulations on that win-win. Thank you. I love the concept you have written and talked about having five properties for financial freedom. Tell me about that. Why is five such an interesting number? (laughs) Yes, I suppose you can hold it in your hand, can't you? Five. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) When I first started investing in HMOs, I I had about five single buy-to-lets, but there was no way that those property profits, the income from those properties would have replaced my income. Whereas with five HMOs, if you can aim to make a thousand pounds per month 
profit per property. Give or take £100 here or there. Sometimes it will be higher, sometimes it will be lower. You will be making £5,000 a month income. And for many people, that is a life-changing amount of money. For many people who are earning perhaps £35,000, £40,000 a year, this gives them the security to be able to give up their job and invest in property. So it becomes something which is not such a big mental jump because I think for many people, the idea of giving up their day job from uh, and to live on their property income feels like it's a massive leap. It feels like it's climbing Everest. They would never be able to do it. They need hundreds of properties to, to make the money to, to make this work. But in actual fact, with HMOs, just a handful can really change your life. My second book was called Extraordinary Profits from Ordinary Properties. And it's all about how to create just five properties that will change your life, because I think that's a, a key turning point. Once you get to about 25 to 30 rooms, you can start to make some decisions about how you want your life to be. That concept about assets generate cash flow to make you money each and every month, that is something that very, very few people think about. And even if they have heard about it, what is it that stops people from taking that strategy going forward? Because it is a very well-studied strategy, right? It is, absolutely. And of course, probably like you, Magda, and, and many people who might be listening, I have read a lot of Robert Kiyosaki's books. And it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, his, you know, his sort of seminal work, that um, led me to this concept of assets, putting money in your back pocket and liabilities, taking money out of your back pocket. It's a very, very simple concept, but it's life changing when you really get to grips with it and apply it. Now, I think it was funny, actually, today I was on a walk and I was thinking about this. Why is it that some people are interested and drawn to uh, creating wealth and creating financial freedom and financial abundance for their families? And why is it that some people aren't? Now, it's, it's a very uh, dif difficult philosophical question to answer. I suspect that some people are drawn to the idea but reject it. They either fear it, they, they fear it's going to take too much time, they lack the education, they're not willing to invest in themselves, and so they push it away as a concept and decide to carry on doing what they're doing. But I think for other people, the seed grows. There is a, a type of soil, I suppose, in that person's soul, you might say, which is ready to hear that message. And for me, I was very ready to hear that message. When, when I heard that message from Robert Kiyosaki, when I read his book, that rang so many bells for me. You know, it just made me realize that the way I'd been investing, which was for capital growth long-term, was not going to give me the lifestyle that I wanted. So I think people are at different stages and phases of their life. And for some people are ready to hear the message and some people aren't i i think the other key is education because i think the more you're exposed to that kind of thinking the more that you can understand the how behind it because that's the biggest question that i get asked is how to do it the understanding that there is a methodology behind it it's not just all sort of waving a magic wand and Ta -da, you have your five houses please give me you know a million pounds and i can do it for you I think when people understand that it is a, a practical methodology you can apply, suddenly they realize, oh, I, I can do this too. It's, it's not mystic magic. 
this is something which I can do. It doesn't require any special qualifications, but it does require education, but of a not school type education. Yes, I suppose a lot of discipline, isn't it? To understand that one can magnify the value of a house to a maximum, you wrote somewhere in the book that you just mentioned. Yes. That is quite something. And you also take people on their journey to this financial freedom. Tell me a little bit about the 101 essential tips or 101 essential tips for running a professional HMO. Yes, that's right. Well, this was my first book. And the reason that I wrote this book was because I had systemized my own business. Uh, I, I had about 50 to 60 HMO rooms by this stage, and I was very busy running the business. And I realized that I didn't want to be managing the tenants and, um, you know, lodging the deposits and doing the maintenance. I wanted to be free to do the deals and to grow the business. I wanted to work on the business, not in the business. So I realized that I had to have a system and I had to have a team that could implement that system for me. So the first thing I did was to write out an operations manual. And the operations manual was split into five chunks. Find it, fund it, finish it, fill it, and future-proof it. And I was working with a mentor at the time. I've always had mentors throughout my whole business journey because I very much believe in the, the power of mentoring and the power of coaching and my mentor said to me Wendy this could be a book you you could take out some of the the bits which are just for best nest which is my business take the name out and depersonalize it but this is a fantastic system that you've got here these these points that you've got and you if you rewrote it and sort of slightly edited it put some photos in you could create a book out of this and I thought hey that's a great idea I never thought about that so that's what I did I, I turned it into a book so those 101 essential tips are tips for people split into my five steps to help them to very quickly and rapidly get a concept of what an HMO is, but also some of the practical ways in which you can make this a reality for you, particularly if you haven't got much time. It'll only take you about an hour to read. <laughs> it's always very nice to know and get that reassurance that one is doing the right thing. Many people need not quite to be held by the hand, but certainly just a little reassurance. Yes, you are going in the right direction. Don't worry. Yes, this tends to happen. And by the way, there's a group of people out there doing all that. So would you tell me about three things that you have learned that you would like to share? In terms of my whole property journey or just about HMOs? About everything and anything, because you are a very successful woman. And also, as you say, it didn't just happen with a little wand. You actually worked for it. So there's an awful lot that inspire people to actually get on moving. One of the things that I've learned is that you can be your own worst enemy. And we, as human beings, because of the amazing complexity of who we are, we feel many different feelings on a daily, monthly, hourly basis. And of course, one of those things when we're doing something new is fear. And I think it's very important to understand that fear is there to protect us from danger. It's there to stop us from making terrible mistakes. It's there to you know, help us to check in. But the danger is that when you feel fear too often or you uh, fail to be committed to taking a risk, you then you know, deny your fear. And there's a very good book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by a lady called Susan Jeffers. It's a very famous book. And the idea behind it is that you know, fear 
has a has a role in our lives. We can't completely ever get rid of it. But what we can do is we can learn how to evaluate opportunities. We can learn to use different parts of our brain so that the fear factor is not engaged. And we can look at it from a very simple mathematical model. However, we have to accept that in anything new we do, whether it is taking up a new challenge, you know, new physical challenge, whether it is starting a new business, whether it's investing in property, whether it's you know, starting a new relationship. These all have risks because you're going out of your comfort zone. And the point about being outside of your comfort zone is it's not comfortable. You are not going to be comfortable. You will ask yourself questions every day. Am I doing the right thing? Should I be doing this thing? Why did I ever get started? Do I love him? Does he love me? Um, you know, oh dear, am I losing any weight? Am I getting any stronger? All those questions that you have about your progress, one of the challenges I think we have is self-sabotage. I think especially as women, we can very easily sabotage our own results because we don't feel confident or we don't have the inner strength or determination or persistence to see it through. So I think that the first, the essential part of becoming wealthy or becoming financially free, uh, and when I say wealthy, I'm talking not just in terms of money in the bank, and zeros on your spreadsheet, but I mean in terms of having a happy and fulfilling life, one where you have wealth in terms of time and in terms of choice and in terms of relationships, where you are playing your top game. I think it's the first part is to examine yourself and understand where what you feel or what you think is holding you back. That's critical. I think a second thing to say would be it's very important to have a plan because if you have goals to become a multimillionaire or to run a successful business or to run a marathon I've run the London Marathon twice you have to have a plan you can't just do this through waking up every morning and thinking right what shall I do today now it might not be that you have any longer a plan than three months you might have a three month plan and say in 12 weeks time, I want to achieve X. And I'm this is what I'm going to do every day or three times a week to achieve X by this date. And on that date, I will evaluate how far I have progressed towards this goal. Have I met the goal? Have I missed the goal? Have I over overstepped the goal? Now, it, it to a certain degree, it doesn't really matter which of these results you achieve. But the point is that you are beginning to learn how to create a life which you are designing by choice. Uh, you have a responsibility to take action towards that particular goal. Now, I've seen people who have goals which are five years or 10 years hence, but it's very, very difficult to plan a life when you're just starting off. Or, or you may have a successful business. In fact, your business might be turning over quite a few thousands of pounds every month or, or even a hundred of thousands of pounds every month but any business person will tell you that in order to be successful and to grow their business and to continue to expand the business it doesn't happen by chance you are the architect of that business you are behind it you have to make it happen and I think when you have a plan it's so much easier it actually takes the the weight off your shoulders because you can look at your plan and say right this week these are my priorities these four tasks are my priorities. If I get nothing else done this week, these four tasks must be completed. And then after that 12 weeks or six months or year, 
you can look back and evaluate and you learn about yourself you learn about your own strengths and weaknesses you learn about when you're likely to fall off your your uh, your, your actions maybe because it's an action you don't really enjoy maybe it's an action you're not very good at and of course as human beings Again, we tend to do things that we enjoy and that we're good at. That tends to be where we end up focusing most of our time and effort because we enjoy them and we're good at them. So that's something to be aware of, that you're going to find something in your property journey that you're not good at and that you don't like doing. That's where discipline emerges, though, that you still have to do those things for the time being. Because then my third point is use the skills of other people. Leverage leverage in property is absolutely critical for growth now leverage means leveraging your time and it means leveraging your money so leverage is mortgages that's leverage loans that's leverage credit cards they're leverage um access to other people's money that's leverage crowdfunding that's leverage any kind of debt is leverage When it comes to time, using other people's skills, people who are better at, let's say, design or marketing or deal sourcing or management, these are ways in which you can stop doing all those things which you don't really like and you're not really good at. You find somebody else who does like it and is good at those things. And you then leverage your time because you can then carry on doing the things that you're good at. So... I think that leverage is absolutely critical and many people either take too long to implement leverage and so they end up getting into a spiral whereby they can't break out of their own uh, self-made problems. And the key is that they just haven't found the right person. They perhaps haven't looked hard enough for that person who can help them because often it's when you find that right person that boom, you can shift yourself up to the next higher level. Well, with those three things, we should all be successful. I want to ask you, did you meet blockers or bad influences? And if so, what did you do about them? <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I suppose you're always going to come across people in your life who don't want you to succeed. And it could be because they either don't understand what you're doing They have some political or other reason why they don't agree with what you're doing. Or it could be other things. For example, they're jealous or they see in you something which they wish they had, not just in terms of your results, but in terms of your drive or your determination. And I think that in perhaps family circles and friendship circles, when somebody chooses to suddenly announce I'm going to be doing this or I'm going to do that or I'm, I have been doing this for the last few months and these are the results I've had people can be shocked it's like if you haven't seen a friend for a while who maybe was a little bit overweight and wasn't particularly attractive and you see her a year later and she's lost all this weight and she looks amazing and you think about yourself and you think oh good grief I wish I'd done what she's done because I still look the same. (laughs) I'm just a a year older with more wrinkles. Oh, no. (laughs) Then, you know, I think that, again, we can sometimes compare ourselves to other people. And so sometimes those emotions that you might have directed towards you, maybe those people comparing themselves to you, it creates this kind of negative emotion and negative reaction. My philosophy is love is a a key part of how we uh, should interact with each other. 
And love doesn't mean being soft on, on other people. Love doesn't mean being not making hard choices or having boundaries. But I do think we have to sometimes realize that if we are generating a reaction from somebody else that is negative, it's usually to do with them rather than to do with us. Because if we have decided to improve our lives, if I've decided to improve my life and I've, I'm having some good results and I'm seeing some positive things, and I'm happy about those things and I'm hitting some of my goals, then if somebody else has a bad reaction to that or tries to stop me or tries to block me, then I can love them through that. I can appreciate that they are not there yet. That doesn't mean to say that I need to spend time in their company. It might mean that I need to actually pull away from that person. And that part of my loving response to them is to say, do you know what, where you are, where I am is very different places right now. And while I'd love to still be close to you and be your friend, this is the journey I've decided to go on. No longer am I going to be on the stands. I'm on the pitch. I'm playing full out. If you don't want to join me on the pitch playing full out, that's absolutely fine. But I cannot have you on the stands telling me, you're no good, you can't kick a ball, you, do, you missed that shot, because that's going to affect my results and my ability to play full out. So I think that your choice to play full out and to play on the pitch is critical to your success. And so therefore, you have to be careful who you surround yourself with. But I always have an open heart. And I would say if that person decides they also want to be on the pitch with me, fantastic. Great. Let's 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 get back to where we were. Let's in fact, let's have a new relationship based on you playing on the pitch with me, because I find when you are surrounded by people who are also on that pitch, they're part of that team. They're part of Team Wendy or Team Magda. When they're part of your team, those kind of blockers either disappear or they just don't exist. They want you to succeed just as you want them to succeed. Very insightful. Thank you very much. Wendy Whitaker large how may we get in touch with you? Well, that's very good of you. I have two websites, actually, Magda. So my business website is hmosuccess.co.uk. My personal website is wendywl.uk. You can email me, wendy at wendywl.uk. Or if you'd like to have a free 30-minute consultation call to talk about HMOs or investing or anything else that we've discussed on the podcast today, you can email my virtual assistant. So her email is admin at hmosuccess.co.uk. This is Urban Jungle with your host, Magda Flores. Thanks for joining. And if there is a topic or people you would like to hear from, all you have to do is drop me a line. My email address is urbanwsolutions at gmail.com. Urban environments need your help. Be part of the solution. Check out our training courses on urban well-being. Developed in partnership with SIWEM, the UK's Chartered Institute of Water and Environmental Management at www.siwem.org.